Welcome to Home From Home, a podcast where we answer your questions with our experiences and questionable advice. We're just two guys who like guys but love God. This is a safe place for real conversation. We'll talk about the highs and lows of life as a disciple with added baggage. Can we help you with that? Welcome to your Home From Home. Welcome to episode two of Finding Guy. In this episode, myself and Guy sit down to talk all about his conversion to faith. What was this major transition like? How did he stay faithful? How did he fall in love? And what is the reason he decided God was enough? Stick around to find out. Welcome to your home from home. We are live. We are here. Gosh, it's weird to say that. I don't usually say that. Why am I saying that? Well, welcome everyone to our second episode of Finding Guy. And today, there's just two of us. It's just me and Guy. No Thomas this time, and I feel great about it. No. (laughs) I miss him, I really do. Um, But we thought we'd try something new, and I'm going to be interviewing Guy for this second part, and Thomas is going to be taking the reins next episode. It's great to have you back, Guy. I mean, it's amazing to have, I think it's our first, I always love to talk about first, it's our first time with recurring guests. You're going to be with us for the next three episodes. I hope you're like ready for this. <laughs> well, I'm fine. I more feel sorry for your listeners. But anyway, I'm so glad that uh, we could be doing this. This is, uh, no, this is great, you guys. I super appreciate it. No, the pleasure is ours, Guy. Thanks so much for joining us. Seriously, we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, actually, before we get into part two, like, how did this film even happen? Did you always know you wanted to do a film, Guy? I don't know. Like, what was the process like? Because it came out a few years ago, right? And then, um, like, what was that process of getting it started? I think that would be so interesting to hear. Because, I mean, the film is, like, such good quality, and you even have someone playing you. Like, how did you decide? Did you cast the person that would play you? <laughs> you know, I think they actually did try to get Brad Pitt to play my part, but he was just busy at the time. So oh, that's what they made I'm it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole concept was pretty crazy. Uh, the ministry had been going on for a while and it had really taken off. I mean, after I'd written a few books, we were getting a lot of invitations to speak internationally. And I had been at, um, actually teaching at an event in Singapore of all places. And there was a gentleman there, young guy who had just graduated from university, uh, getting a degree in documentary filmmaking. And so he was at this event in Singapore and he came up to me and said, Hey, introduced himself and said, you know, I live in San Antonio, Texas. This is what I do. I think your story is really compelling. I'd love to uh, see if we could make a movie. I'm looking for a new project. Can we make a movie about your life? And So we kind of talked about it there. And then my wife and I just kind of dismissed it and it was just kind of left. And then sure enough, a year later, I was hired to go teach at a conference in San Antonio, Texas. And guess who was in the audience again? And uh, his name (laughs) is, uh, yeah, Zach Fazio is his name. And um, uh, he came up and and we we re-talked about it. And his um, minister is a good friend of mine. His name is Mike Tolliver. And have a lot of trust in in Mike and his capabilities and his wisdom. And, you know, I felt like it would be something that we would be willing to go forward with, provided that he would be willing to kind of uh, produce the the whole endeavor. And so once he said yes, then, then Kathy and I felt pretty good about it. The only other thing we needed to put into place was we wanted to make sure that our kids felt good about it. I mean, how are you going to feel about the fact that 
your dad is going to be in a movie and they're going to talk about the fact that he's attracted to men. And, you know, that's a sensitive thing. So we sat our kids down. We just went around the room. We all talked about it. And I said, if anybody doesn't feel good about this, we'll cancel the whole project. All it takes is one person to say, dad, I love you, but no, I don't want there be a movie about my family and about my dad, how he's homosexually attracted. If just one person doesn't feel good about it, we'll cancel the whole thing. I have four kids. So we went around the room and uh, everybody gave it the thumbs up. And uh, so we thought, okay, let's give it a shot. So yes, um, if you see the movie, uh, there's a good portion of it where I'm followed around to different cities as I teach. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, um, (laughs) you know, one one thing that happened that was kind of uh, jarring for me was, I was speaking actually in, I think it was somewhere in South Carolina. I think it was in Columbia, South Carolina. And there was just a part of the movie they were missing. And so they hired a film crew to come and film just this like five minutes of my lesson. That's all they needed. And they spent all this <laughs> money to get these this special film crew there. And so um, they were only going to film that five minutes. So I gave like a two-hour presentation. And then they kind of turned on their cameras right at the right time. And as soon as I knew the cameras were on, I I flubbed it up. I made mistakes. I couldn't remember what I was supposed to say. So we had to stop the whole event and they were like, cut, stop. Okay. Let's start over again. And then I did it again and made more mistakes. And the guy, this minister of this church, you know, I had to get up and said, are you okay? Like, uh, you you need us all to leave the room. Do you need the audience to leave? Like, what is your problem? You know? Anyway, I always found like it was a little bit more challenging and difficult when I knew that people had invested financially uh, to film me. I always felt a little bit more pressure there, but ultimately ended up working really well. And I'll tell you, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, I'll I'll tell you a little bit of the end. And that is at the end of the movie, my my wife actually dies. And um, I know we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But but I, I'll say that, you know, I don't think I appreciated the value of the movie until after my wife passed away because my wife is in the movie yeah. quite a bit. And it allows her voice to continue, allows our story to continue. Wow. And uh, in a way that would not have been possible uh, after she passed. And I think it's even cool for my kids to have a lot of uh, video of their mom. Uh, she's in the movie quite a bit. So it's, I think it's cool for them to be able to mm. kind of pass on to their, their kids and, hey, here's your grandma, you know, and and for her for her story to be kept alive even after my wife passed. So anyway, for all those reasons now, I look back with 2020 hindsight with great appreciation for the fact that we made the movie. I was very skeptical at first, but now I'm glad that it's there. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's so meaningful, and it honestly is just so good. It was so the story and the way it's produced is just so compelling. Very good. He's a very good documentary maker. They did great. Uh, Zach Fazio, Nathan Tolliver, and Mike Tolliver. Uh, low budget movie. They had, didn't have much mo- money to work with. Uh, I think it was like in the twenty five thousand dollar range, and uh, which is nothing for making a movie, of course. But they pulled it off. You know, I mean, it won't win any Academy Awards, but it was nominated at the. Uh, 2018 International Christian Film Festival that was held in Miami. It was nominated for best the Christian Grammys. The Christian Grammys, yeah, the Christian Oscars. It was or Oscars. Yes, <laughs> that's right. It was nominated for best best uh, documentary and best director. And uh, of course, it didn't win wow. either of those. But hey, it was just a privilege to be nominated. Uh, but anyway, yeah, those guys did a great job putting a movie together, considering their low budget that we had to deal with. They did really, really well. Yeah. Anyway, that's how it came about. So just for our listeners, before we get started in part two, 
we can do a little recap of what we talked about last time. We basically kind of went over your early years and the time before you became a Christian. So your family life, growing up in a home where, you know, you came from a pastor's family and that dynamic, and then also having boyfriend and, and yeah, this constant kind of wrestle with shame and expectation and this dual life, really. I found it really interesting how you kind of cling to God throughout it all and maintained, I don't know, that desire for connection or um, this stage of longing and desire and this internal conflict, but not being able to find God or or find connection with his people during that time. So in the second part, we see you begin this relationship with God and starting to go to church. Like, what was that experience for you? Like, how did you, what was your first experiences of church? And how did you find it? Like, how did you find the church? I had a friend that I had gone to high school with years earlier, of course. Um, His name was Kevin. And um, uh, a new church had started in downtown Toronto that he was very excited about. And so he was inviting his friends and he contacted me and said, you got to check this out. I was very skeptical at first, mm-hmm. of course, but um, by then I made such a mess of my life. And, you know, if you hear the last episode, I mean, I just crossed so many lines, was doing things that I never thought would have been possible and knew that, and with such consistency, I knew that um, I needed help. I needed intervention, but I didn't know where to go for help. And let me just yeah. also say that, this is, you know, my story, certainly you'd see it if you'd watch the movie, but certainly my story is is not, I think, typical for how most gay people live their lives. I think I certainly crossed a lot of really dangerous lines, certainly with the number of times I acted out with different guys, but that's not typical for most gay people. It would be wrong to stereotype all of us with the way Guy Hammond lived his life, but it, that is my story. And, you know, by the time I was 22 years old, I knew I was in trouble. Of course, in God's perfect timing, he sent Kevin, who invited me to go to this new church. I ended up going, loved it. I was so uh, impressed by what I saw and heard. Loved the fellowship, the singing, the, the, the message was just cut to my heart. And I knew right away, this was not the church I grew up in. This was something completely different. I had never experienced anything like this before. And was so uh, eager to uh, re-engage with God. I thought, this is my chance. You're, you're finally here, guy. Let's do this. And so I just really dived in. The trouble, however, was that I was way too ashamed and embarrassed to tell anybody what I was personally experiencing and how I was living. I thought, there's no way I can tell these people that I've been living this gay life. So decided not to. I just thought, I'm just going to keep that between me and God. I'm not telling that to anyone else. And, you know, I, I thought, I'm just going to repent. I'm going to be a part of this church and I will not participate in homosexuality anymore. And I just kind of white knuckled it. And I probably went for a couple of months, I think probably close to three months, no acting out. I was doing great. But you know what? Whenever you hide sin, things never go well. And um, I think, you know, I just trying to do it on my own strength uh, without any help from spiritual trusted advisors and just trying to white knuckle it through life. It's not a good plan. And within about three months, I was right back at it again, back at that mall, Mm -hmm. meeting in that bathroom to meet gay guys and And now I was really in trouble because now I was just living a hypocritical life. I was going to church, a part of this new church in downtown Toronto, loving it, participating. uh, But now I'm living a gay life life on the side too. I mean, if things couldn't have gotten worse, that was truly 
a point of uh, complete chaos in my life. And uh, then I was really in trouble. Wow. Yeah, I know that's so interesting because and must be really difficult with that double life, kind of trying to maintain both those lifestyles at the same time. I can really see being you just being, yeah, torn in two. Right. Um, Were you ever like worried? I don't know that people would find out about your other lifestyle. Oh, I thought about it all the time. It was terrifying. And I, I, it, I was so torn and uh, so desperately wanting what uh, Christianity was offering and being a part of this family of faith that I was now participating with in Toronto, loving that. And yet off on the side going and acting out with these guys. And my heart was so torn. Mm. And um, it was actually during this time, get this, um, there was this girl in my church. Now, of course, I'd never been attracted to a girl before, never had a girlfriend before, but there was this girl in my church, in this church that I was going to, who was just the friendliest thing. And um, every time I'd go to her house, um, we we had these Bible discussion groups at her house. And I was like, every Tuesday night, we'd go to this thing. And every time I'd go there, she'd start baking me things. And she'd give me these gifts of cookies Aww. and brownies and everything's right. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I love that. And Anyway, her name was Kathy. We just became tremendous friends. And one of the ministers in the church there, uh, when it became obvious that we were enjoying each other's company so much, um, suggested, why don't you guys, like he said to me, why don't you date her? Like, why? I mean, you guys are such great friends. And I don't know, maybe there's a spark there. And <laughs> I thought that is so weird. I've never had a girlfriend before. I mean, I didn't say this to him, but uh, I was like, I don't know, like, maybe this is my chance. Maybe I can try to see what it's like to have a girlfriend. And so um, I asked her, I asked Kathy if she'd be my girlfriend. And of course, she knew nothing about my, my gay side. Um, nobody did. Um, but I asked Kathy if she'd be my girlfriend. And she said yes. And all of a sudden, for the very first time in my life, at the age of 22, I had a girlfriend. And uh, we dated mm-hmm. for a period of months. I mean, we went on some great dates. We really enjoyed each other's company. It was wonderful. But while I was dating her, I was still living my secret gay life off to the side. And... Um, you know, uh, after about three months of dating Kathy, she um, pulled me aside one day and she said, I really like you and I really like spending this time with you, but something is wrong with you. I don't know what it is, but something is off. Something is not right. And she said, quite honestly, you're, you're certainly not a very spiritual person. <laughs> she, she said, oh I'm God. sorry. You know, I'm having a great time with you, but oh, I, I want a man who's going to be spiritually centered, love the Lord. I mean, something's wrong with you. I don't know what it is. Of course, little did she know that I'm actually having sex with guys off on the side. And so she was completely right. Something was terribly, terribly wrong. Um, she didn't know what it was and I wasn't going to tell her. But uh, she anyway, she drop kicked me through the goalposts of life. She she said goodbye. She said, I'm not interested in dating you anymore because of this. And we broke up. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I blew it. I only had one girlfriend and I couldn't keep her. You know, that was uh, that was devastating for me, too. But anyway, that whole period of time was was just terribly chaotic. So desperately wanting to follow Jesus. So desperately unable to pull away from this life that I had been living. I was yeah, hypocrite, hypocrisy galore. But not just because I wanted to be a hypocrite or didn't care. I didn't know how to stop. I, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't getting the help that I needed. That sounds like such a difficult time because, I don't know, you get to enjoy almost the promise and the benefits of, of actually, yeah, being in a relationship with God and being part of his kingdom and even having that relationship with Kathy, but then losing that. Um, but what was, like, the turning point like? I know you mentioned in your... You mentioned in the film this moment kind of getting on a bus. What was that about? 
I was. I'll never forget that day. Yeah, it changed my life. A minister in the church said on on a Sunday, he said, hey, come mm. on over to my house. I want to talk to you. So I went the next day. It was on a Monday. And he said, something's up with you. What is it? Just tell me. And I knew what he was. I knew what he wanted me to, you know, confess. And I was like, oh, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And so I don't know if this, if this is a good strategy or not, but he actually, after begging me to tell him what I was involved in, he said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to count backwards from 10. And I'm going to give you 10 seconds to start telling me what the heck you're involved in. And either you can start telling me and I'll help you. Or he said, there's the door. Go live your life. And if God lets you live through it, maybe someday you can come back and tell me about it. My gosh. So he started counting backwards. And he actually counted, you know, 10, 9, 8. I know. And he got to zero. And I thought, I can't do it. How am I going to tell this man that just a few days earlier, I met another guy for gay sex? How can I tell him what I'm involved in? the whole time lying to everybody else, even dating Kathy for a period of months. How can I tell him that? So I just thought, no, I can't. So you're right. That's the scene in the movie where I left his apartment and went to get on a city bus to take me home so I could go live my gay life forever. But on the city bus, again, the thing that just kept going through my mind was, Guy, how can you turn your back on a man who died for you? I mean, you could turn your back on a lot of things. You can lie to a lot of people. You can do a lot of cold stuff, but how can you turn your back on a man who died for you? And I just knew I, Jesus and the cross was so real to me. And I just thought, I can't do that. I cannot live the rest of my life, however many years I have left, yeah. knowing that I turned my back on a man who died for me. And I thought, you know, I can turn my back on a lot of stuff, but not that. So got off the bus, called that minister up and said, I'm coming back. And um, said, that's it. I have to be a Christian. I don't care what it takes anymore. Uh, you know, I had a night of just praying and reading and crying and finally said, that's it. I'm going to be a Christian. So went back to his house, spilled the beans, the poor guy's mouth, you know, his jaw hit the floor and he was in shock when I told him what I, who I'd really been all this time. But he was so compassionate and so helpful and so gracious to me. And we studied the Bible really for me to find out what it truly meant to be a follower of Jesus and what it would mean for me as a man who's homosexually attracted. And I uh, studied the Bible for a couple months, or sorry, a couple weeks. And um, then I decided, yeah, I wanted Jesus uh, more than I wanted homosexuality. So I was uh, baptized wow. on August 15th, 1987. I was 24 years old. And uh, I have not, absolutely not participated in any kind of homosexual activity since wow. my conversion, uh, which is now 33 years ago. Yeah, what was studying the Bible like? Because this was before Strength and Weakness, obviously, and before there was more of these conversations about same-sex attraction and how to even, I don't know, even the term same-sex attraction. But what was studying the Bible like? Did you look much at things to do with homosexuality and becoming a Christian and, and those kind of things? Like, what did you look at? In our Bible studies, we primarily just talked about the fact that Jesus was worth it. That was the basic message. I mean, Jesus is worth it. You're going to have to live a life of self-denial. You're going to have to say no to these temptations. Um, it was very clear to me. It's funny, you know, I, I did not struggle with the idea that homosexuality was sinful and that it, that participating in homosexuality was not what God intended for human sexuality. I mean, that was very clear to me. I had, I had never doubted or questioned that. The idea that you could be gay and a Christian, I didn't struggle with those thoughts. I wouldn't have even crossed my mind, quite honestly. It's very clear to me from what the Bible taught on sexual ethics that homosexuality was sinful. 
we didn't have to talk about that, but we did have to talk about, you know, how are you going to do this? Like, so we talked a lot about self-denial and he would be there for me, but you're so right. Cause he didn't really have a lot of specifics for me. So it's so funny because then I, it forced me into a place where I had to do that myself. So, cause you're right. There was no books to read. There was no strength and weakness ministry. Nobody had written caring beyond the margins yet. There was no finding guy movie. I mean, it was just, I was just on my own. And I remember after becoming a Christian, having to think through my life and I was like, guy, you're going cold Turkey here. Like how are you going to do this? And I had to <laughs> yeah. put a lot of boundaries in my life really fast. So all self-imposed, nobody told me I had to do this. I mean, this is just stuff I came up with my own, but I'm telling you, it's this kind of, it's, it's living my life with those kinds of boundaries and restraint that, that saved my life, I think, and, and allowed me to stay faithful. I could imagine that would be just so daunting like this and overwhelming this idea of like going completely cold turkey when i don't know like even your experience like you shared in the past when you went to papua new guinea and then you thought okay this is some time away and then i'm going to come back and things will be different or then when you um started dating kathy and you thought okay well maybe this will be like i don't know there was so many times where it's like you just couldn't get away i mean i really appreciate your faith and i guess is it was in some ways, it's simpler back then, which maybe it should still be now. When like becoming a Christian, ultimately the question is is whether Jesus is going to be Lord of your life in response to what He did for you. And so, and I I do appreciate like always going trying to go back to the simplicity of the gospel and like what does that mean for our lives. But for you, kind of with making that decision to become a Christian and then living it out in actuality? Were there any points you thought, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do this? Or like, what did you, you talked about boundaries, but maybe you can go more deeper into that. Like, how did you actually achieve that? I mean, the spirit, I guess, is a big part of that. But what was that like for you? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, let me say that I really was, and still have been, so moved by the cross. I mean, it's been 33 years now. I've never gone back to homosexuality. I'm still same-sex attracted. It hasn't even altered. I'm just as attracted to men today as I was that day on August 15th, 1987. It hasn't even changed. I've still never been attracted to a woman. But um, I was so moved by the cross. And I thought, if, if Jesus is willing to do that for me, you know what? I will do anything for him. And if that means by becoming a Christian, I can never participate in homosexuality again, you know what? That will not be easy, but I will do this. And at the time, it was very clear to me that I was just going to have to live a celibate life. I mean, the idea of ever having a relationship with a woman seems so impossible to me. And so when I got baptized, I just thought, that's it. I'll be celibate for the rest of my life. It's not my first choice in life. I'd love to be able to experience all that life has to offer with another human being, but I'm willing to do this. If Jesus can die for me, I can be celibate. Um, but you know, I'll say, I'll just say that this is what still motivates me uh, to stay faithful to God is the cross. And I think once you lose sight of that, then you've got a real problem on your hands. Anyway, to your mm. question, uh, Topher, about boundaries, I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. Like I remember, um, you know, probably about um, two or three weeks after I had gotten baptized, the church was going to have a men's retreat in Niagara Falls, Canada, which is about two hours from Toronto. And so they announced at church on Sunday, hey, everybody, uh, you know, all the men, we have a guest speaker. I can't remember who the guy was, but some hotshot minister or somebody was going to come in and do a men's retreat. And 
they wanted us to all <laughs> sign up. So I, I went to the back table there in the foyer of the church and I said, hi, I'm Guy. I'd love to be able to go to this men's retreat. I want to sign up. And they were like, oh, great. So it's three days. It's going to be in Niagara Falls. We're all staying at a hotel. You can have a bedroom with two guys or four guys. And all of a sudden, it just really hit me. <laughs> like, I thought to myself, Guy, I mean, this all went through my mind in about three seconds flat. But of course, the thought was, Guy, considering how... um uh, how you've been living your life. Is it wise for you to be sharing a bedroom with any man, whether it's two, four or anybody? Like I thought to myself, I can't do that. Like it wouldn't be good for me to be sharing a bedroom with some guys who are going to be in various forms of undress, going to and from the shower or whatever. And certainly sharing a bed with a guy if I was in that spot. I mean, I don't even know if I would be attracted to these guys, but that wasn't the point. The point was I knew I needed to set boundaries to live my life carefully uh, I thought to myself, if I go to this event and share a bed with a guy or share a bedroom with a bunch of guys, that would be a precedent setting event. And I, I want to set a precedent towards righteousness, not set a precedent towards seeing how close to the line I can get without sinning. And yeah. so I just made a decision yeah. right on the spot. I can't, I can't do that. And I remember the guy at the table, he said, so do you want a room with two guys or four guys? And I said, actually, if I'm going to go to your event, I have to have a room by myself. And the guy was like, well, we don't really have that option. You can get two guys or four guys. And I said, listen, you don't understand. But <laughs> if I don't have a room by myself, I don't go. And so I had to work that out. But um, I have not shared a bedroom with another guy now uh, since then. And um, so it's just a boundary I laid in my mm -hmm. life. Another boundary I had in my life was, um, well, I've mentioned several times that I used to meet men in public bathrooms for gay sex. And um when I became a Christian, I just thought, guy, why would you risk that? So I just made a boundary. I will not enter a public bathroom uh, again until I'm confident that that's no longer a temptation for me. And so I didn't use a public bathroom at the movies mm. or at church or at a sporting event. I didn't use a public bathroom for over two years. After about two years, I remember I was at a movie one night and I needed to use the facility. And I thought to myself, oh, I have to wait till I get home. And then I thought, <laughs> why am I waiting? And I thought, oh, yeah, that boundary. And I thought, Guy, are you really tempted to act out with some guy in a public bathroom or try to spy on somebody? Like, would you actually do that? And I thought, no, I'm not interested in that anymore. So I released myself that boundary and uh, was able to, you know, I use public yeah. bathrooms now. I will tell you, though, as a point of real being real honest with you, that there have been times in my Christian life in the last 33 years when I have felt vulnerable or weak. And I've just thought to myself, you know what, guy? You got to just be careful right now. And so there's been times I've reinserted those kinds of boundaries in my life just to make sure that I don't do anything crazy. Uh, and that's proved helpful. But these are the kinds of boundaries I've had to live with uh, where uh, yep. that, have, that have saved me and helped me stay faithful over the years. I really appreciate your conviction, Guy, because, I mean, it's not easy. Yeah. And those boundaries can be extremely helpful. Uh, I guess it is an important point to make that those boundaries could be different from person to person. Um, yeah, I think it's a good point. Like, I think it's yeah. important to recognize that, I mean, this is all very individualistic and these are self-imposed boundaries I put on myself. I don't know if it would be, it would be too simplistic to think that everybody who's homosexually attracted and who wants to be a Christian can never share a room. But you know what? There's some wisdom in that for you to at least consider and think and and my point is you should have boundaries. Like you should know yourself well enough to have your own boundaries. And if you're living your Christian life heterosexually attracted or homosexually attracted and you don't have boundaries in your life, you're not living your life carefully, you have no guardrails, you scare me. Like you're in a bad place. You better watch out. So I don't care how long you've been a Christian. 
I don't care what you're attracted to. You need to live your life carefully for Jesus. So those, that's how Guy Hammond has to do it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you better be doing it. And we still need to maintain that heart and that conviction, which I think is the universal thing is like, um, regardless of what those boundaries may look like, it's so important that we have, I think, especially from what you were sharing, Guy, it just, it reminds me like when the rubber hits the road, like in actual fact, like living as the same sex attracted Christian is not easy. And there's a lot of various things that you have to do to actually make it work. We can't just, um, kind of be really fluffy about it and then just assume things will just go into place like i i appreciate your pragmatism and just and and clearly by kind of the way that you've lived like those boundaries have great effects so well even today like uh i mean so you know like everybody else on the planet i've got you know an iphone an ipad a laptop or this or that everything has covenant eyes on it Everything is protected. My wife is my accountability partner. I couldn't look at anything inappropriate on anything if I wanted to, unless I want my wife to see everything that I've looked at and have to deal with that. So is it my heart's desire to delve into porn? No, of course not. Uh, and, and I don't live my life desperately desiring that. But there are moments and times in, in all of our lives when we feel weak and vulnerable and tired and exhausted. And Satan likes to use those as opportunities to tempt us. And so during those times, I'm glad I've got those protection mechanisms in place to protect me, those boundaries in place. So even today, I mean, that's just a, what, another example of a way that I protect myself. I, I have to live my life on purpose. I have to live my life carefully. And if you aren't doing that as a yeah. Christian, you, I think, could very easily become a statistic someday and not a faithful Christian. I think it's important to yeah. remember that you can, you can screw up your life really fast. Like you, could, you can make a decision and do something in 10 minutes that you will spend years regretting and suffer consequences for years or decades. You can hurt people in your family, uh, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your reputation. All that can, can be shot in a matter of minutes uh, because you didn't live your life with some boundaries and put some, some restraint and guardrails in your life. So, I mean, I don't yeah. want to think, you know, try not to overreact here. I just, I'm telling you, if people want to know, well, Guy, how have you stayed faithful for 33 years? even though you're completely attracted to men, lived a very um, sinful life before becoming a Christian, how have you done it? Two things, living my life with boundaries and uh, living a life with, that's filled with transparency and openness with a, trust, a few trusted spiritual advisors. Those two things mm -hmm. combined uh, have saved me. And then I think really just striving to have a deep appreciation for the cross, never losing that. If this becomes about church and people, and, and you forget about the cross, it'd be really easy to leave the church. It's got to be about Jesus. It's got to be about the cross. It's got to be about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's got to be about that personal relationship with Jesus. Or what have you got? You might as well turn the church into a bowling league. Like, the church is nothing without that. So uh, I, I think transparency, boundaries, and always striving to keep Jesus at the forefront as to why I'm doing what I'm doing are the three really key characters that have allowed me to stay faithful over these years. And I think we'll keep me wow. faithful to the end. And from there, like moving on to the fruits and the joys that came with, with turning your life to Christ and maintaining those boundaries and keeping the cross at the center of your motivation. 
I mean, something big that comes to mind is your subsequent relationship back with Kathy and you guys getting married. Like, what was that? What was that like? And what was what was it like kind of going about the relationship a second time over? <laughs> well, you know, a couple of years passed before uh, I reacquainted myself with Kathy. Um, and really, I just kept praying like, God, please keep her for me, please, God. I, I know I don't deserve this, but I really liked dating her. I think she could be the one for me. Um, but until I get, you know, my spiritual life in order here, can you just please save her for me? And, you know, he did, I think, you know, after a couple of years, Kathy was still a single woman and, um, we were at a, uh, at a singles retreat, uh, and she was there, obviously there in the audience. And I went up to her and I said, Kathy, listen, would you be like to go for, have a cup of coffee with me and let's just get caught up. And, um, uh, Kathy had this look of horror on her face, like, Oh no, I can't, I can't do it again. Like, cause by then Kathy knew, of course, what had happened right now, Kathy knew the history when she broke up with me so a few years earlier, she, now she knew, right. She thought my life was a train wreck, but now she knew why. And, uh, she was like, she wanted to say no, but, um, I was so determined. I was like, I'm not taking no for an answer. And, and so I said, great. I, I don't even remember what her answer was, but it didn't matter. I just, we're going to go for coffee. And I just thought when she can see how I've turned my life around, how I've not come back to homosexuality, how I'm living a faithful Christian life, how I love Jesus. And I'm really trying. She'll be so impressed with that. Of course, she's going to want to date me. And um, so we ended up going out for coffee and very quickly things connected. And uh, we, uh, it wasn't long after that, I was asked to go on a mission team to start a church in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, which was a big deal for me. And um, mm. while I was uh, helping plant this church in Detroit, um, I eventually called Kathy and I told her, I said, I'm not asking you to marry me right now, but I am telling you, you're the girl I'm going to marry. And would you be willing to move here to Detroit <laughs> and be a part of this new church? And she said, yes. Yeah. So she moved to Detroit and it was during I that time that we dated. Right. You, you do. Yeah. Be confident in yourself. <laughs> Uh, Topher, absolutely. And she said, yes. Yeah. So she moved to Detroit and we, uh, we got engaged very quickly and then married. I'm telling you, it was the best thing. It was unbelievable. Kathy was just such an amazing, wonderful, fantastic friend. Uh, so blessed to have had that, that woman in my life. It was, it was a blast. I had a great time with her. Oh my gosh. What was that like for you to not be, I mean, it's amazing that you, the friendship that you had, and then uh, we've already spoken about this, like in our marriage episodes in the past, but like, what was the difference between you and her being married than you and her just being like, um, I don't know, just average friends? Like what, what was that like? And what was navigating that like, just that transition of relationship? Because I mean, before you'd only be able to see men in a romantic way, like how did you adjust your heart or I don't know, make things work really? <laughs> 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 it's where I'm going with that. <laughs> but how? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, um, I told Kathy before we got married that I was homosexually yeah. attracted. I, you know, I spilled all the beans, let her know. I didn't want her to be surprised, you know, after marrying me uh, to not knowing the complete story. And uh, so... Uh, she was, she went in eyes wide open, fully understanding that I wasn't even attracted, physically attracted to her the way a heterosexually attracted man would be. She understood. Uh, and I just, you know, give her, you know, such a compliment for being willing to be with me anyway. Um, but 
uh, you know, it's like living with your best friend. I mean, she was just my best friend on the planet. I mean, I'd rather go on a walk with her than anyone else. I'd rather go out for dinner with her than anyone else. I'd rather watch TV with her than anyone else. I mean, it was just so fantastic to be able to live with my friend. When it comes to, you know, uh, romance and uh, sexual intimacy, um, I will tell you that, and we can talk about this uh, later in the podcast or another podcast if you want, but I'll just briefly say that um, Kathy and I just refused to let that be a, an identifying marker that um, I know yeah. that people would say it's impossible for a homosexually attracted man and a heterosexually attracted woman to uh, have romance and, and have sexual intimacy. We just refused to listen to that. We just uh, decided that uh, we were going to enjoy each other. And it's true that for a man who's homosexually attracted to uh, have sexual intimacy with a woman, somebody you're not attracted to. Um, it takes some determination. It takes prayer. It takes, you know, I, honestly, I felt like it was, it was my job to honor Kathy before God. I think mm. God gave her to me to honor her. And I, and it was also a, a matter of stewardship that God uh, made me a steward of this relationship and I needed to handle it very carefully and very delicately and treat it very specially. And just because I'm homosexually attracted doesn't mean that I cannot give to my wife, make her feel special, make her feel loved, make her feel secure, and enjoy sexual intimacy uh, with my wife, even though I'm homosexually attracted. So obviously there's some unique nuances there uh, that yeah. most people wouldn't have to experience. But, you know, Kathy and I dealt with that with just a lot of sensitivity and, and mm. a lot of conversation, and we were very patient with each other. But um, we were like, no, we're going to make this happen and we're going to have a great life together. And we, we absolutely did, even though I was same-sex attracted. You know, the truth is, guys, the fact that I was homosexually attracted didn't really play a big role in our life. It's not like we talked about it every day. I mean, you know, I don't <laughs> yeah. think my wife kept thinking every day, oh, I'm attracted to a homosexually attracted man. No, she was married to Guy, her husband, who she loved. The fact that I was same-sex attracted, I don't think on a day-by-day -day basis uh, really played a role in our life. I mean, we knew that it was there, but I don't know. It just just wasn't something we really focused on a lot. Yeah, thanks for sharing. No, that's really helpful, and I'm sure really helpful for our listeners too. Because I, I know for me as a same-sex attracted male, I can just sometimes be a bit like, oh my gosh, that's daunting. Or there's a lot of pressure, and there's a lot of societal pressures. And so I think even I like thinking back to our episode um, with Ellen and her husband. Just they had the. They they share the same sentiment, which was just, you know what, we're going to define what marriage is to us. Um, and that wasn't a compromise or that wasn't a sacrifice. Like that was something that was even more kind of individual and, and really beautiful. So I really appreciate that. Really helpful. And you and Kathy had a family and a big family, four kids. Do they know about your same-sex attraction? They certainly did after they saw the movie. <laughs> 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 no, um, so of my four children, uh, two were born to us, um, and then we adopted two children. Uh, so before we adopted the two, we only had uh, a son and a daughter. And yeah, I'll never forget the night I told them. I had, I had uh, decided to start this ministry. It was back in 2006. It was a big step for me to start this ministry. Of course, I, I, Kathy and I talked about it and we recognized that this was a decision that would kind of put my story out there and a lot of people would find out. And I didn't want, obviously, my children or my family 
my my sister's brother, you know, all whatnot for them to find out online. So we, we kind of made the rounds. I started with my kids. And as I said, at the time, we only had two, but I'll never forget my son. He was uh, 12 at the time. My daughter was 13 and we'd been at my son's hockey game. And I'll never forget, we were driving down this road and we were in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And this, we were in the middle of a blizzard. I'll never forget this. We're driving down this icy road. The snow is just pouring down. Um, Ellie, my daughter, was in the front seat. My son, Wyatt, was sitting in the back seat. And um, my heart was just pounding through my chest because I knew what I was about to ex- tell my kids. My and uh, I turned down the radio and um, I said, hey, guys, listen, um, dad, wanted to, dad wants to talk to you about something. Yeah, what's that, dad? Well, um, you know how uh, dad is a minister and I really want to help people spiritually. And they're like, yeah. I was like, so listen, there's a, there's a new ministry that dad wants to start. Um, it's to help people who come from a, a gay life, people who are homosexually attracted to help them stay faithful as Christians. And there was a little bit of a pause and they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. And I said, so uh, the reason why dad wants to start a ministry like this is because, and you know, my heart's just pounding, boom, 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 oh boom, 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 boom. I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud to my kids. I said, it's because before uh, dad became a Christian, uh, I, I lived my life as a gay man. I had a boyfriend and I participated in a lot of homosexual activity before I became a Christian. And the truth is, even though I've never gone back to that, uh, I'm still uh, attracted to men. You know, my heart's just like boom, 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 oh boom, boom, boom. <laughs> There's the silence of the car. <laughs> and uh, my daughter, you know, at the time she's 13, she's, she, she says, so dad, um, you're not going to live like that again, are you? Uh, I said, honey, no, I, I love your mom. I love you guys. I love Jesus in the church. Dad's never going to go back and live a gay life again. But I, I do want to help people because I've been doing it pretty successfully. And I want to help other people do it successfully. And she was like, oh, dad, that is so cool. Okay, then that's great. And my son, Wyatt, you know, um, my my daughter and my son were only a year apart in age disparity. But my son was, you know, <laughs> typical boy. He's like, oh, whatever, dad, just turn up the radio. <laughs> no, I don't think he got it. Like, he didn't understand what we were really talking about. Um but obviously, over the years, as my kids have grown up, yes, they're very familiar with what their dad does. And I'll tell you, it's a time it's awkward. You know, you, no kid wants to hear their parent talk about their sex life. Who, who wants to hear that? Aye. Right? Um, much less their dad going around telling the whole world that he's attracted to men. I mean, that's awkward. It's weird. But my kids have been so kind, so gracious, and so supportive. And, and um, you know, my son, Wyatt, several times has been like, dad so proud of you for what you're doing i know it's not easy for you so they verbalized that and um so my kids are good they believe in their dad they're proud of me but i would confess yeah it's it's weird sometimes for sure and i think well with that you you just touched on the cusp of it there guy with this idea of starting the strength and weakness ministry but we're going to save that for next episode i think right stay tuned we're looking forward to that juicy episode next time. Thank you. But thank you so much for joining us again, Guy. And thanks, oh, of course. Thanks, guys. For tuning in. Super appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Please join again next week where Thomas will be taking the reins and talking all about how Guy started the weakness, the strength and weakness ministries, which is going to be exciting. So stay tuned. If you have any questions, any hard-hitting questions as well, 
please submit those especially and just put that there for this because at the end of this series guy will be answering some of our trickiest questions for episode four so please stay tuned well we will see you next week thanks guy again bye everyone right, thanks guys see ya thank you for listening to home from home we'd love to hear your questions please submit through the link in the description from Home is sponsored by Strength and Weakness Ministries, a Christian organization that helps to bridge the gap between the Christian community and the LGBTQ community through awareness, education, and support. For more info and resources, go to strengthandweakness.org.